Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are here to talk Survivor 44, Episode 2, Two Dorky Magnets. Evan, how are you feeling after Episode 2? Well, let me just say, I came home from a screening of Scream 6 Mm. to then watch this episode of Survivor. And I feel like I had similar mindsets going into both, which listeners (laughs) to this podcast will not be surprised to learn. Um, A little bit of like negativity. And Uh I originally like left Scream 6. This this is relevant to this conversation. I left Scream 6 and I was with my friend and I was like picking all of the things apart about the film that I didn't quite like, you know? And he was like, he was really loving it. And I was like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. So when I get home, I'm talking to Billy, I'm heating up some meatballs as we get ready to watch Survivor. And I'm like telling him all this stuff. And then about like halfway through the Survivor episode, I like turned, I like paused and I turned to Billy and I was like, you know what? I was like, I think I kind of loved Scream. And he was like, <laughs> I know, Evan, like you got home and you like couldn't stop talking about it. Anyway, related to that, this episode of Survivor blew me away. I think this was the best episode of the modern era. And by that, I mean 41 onward. Um, to quote, to paraquote Jeff Probst, I think we have a season. Um, I think this was just really exciting on multiple fronts because the groundwork for a lot of exciting things to come was laid out. And I have like a lot of excitement about this season. I'm flabbergasted. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was like excited to hop on the mic because I just am like, I feel like we're recapping vintage survivor in that it's like i have like i don't have critiques of this episode wow i mean i'll find some but like you know what i mean like on the, <laughs> yeah. on the surface i'm energized about this and like i have a lot of players that i'm investing in side note real quick though please everyone if you're on the fence about scream six run don't walk yeah you gave it an 8.5 i know that's big what would you have given Scream 4 and 5? I would give Scream 4 a 6.5 out of 10. Uh-huh. And I would give Scream 5 a 6.5 out of 10 as well. Ooh. Yeah. See, I really loved 4 a lot. I haven't watched it in many years, but I remember loving it, like seeing it in theaters and being like, wow, we're back. We're back to the Scream verse. And then 5, I was a little, eh, not crazy about it. Yeah. And so just, that's left me feeling. And then with the Nev Campbell news about uh-huh. six, I, I was feeling very like, I don't even know if I want to see this. But then you were like, let's talk about it on Shut Up Evans. So I was like, okay, I'm seeing it opening night. Uh, so now, now I'm kind of excited. Okay. Well, I, I mean, obviously no spoilers, but I will just say like the end sequence is astounding. And the reaction from the audience was like, just really something I will remember. Like, I'm not reading into anything you're saying, but can I just put out a theory there and I don't want you to react in any way yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, of uh, I'll turn your camera off. I'm just kidding. But no, I'm joking. Okay. But I've had this theory because in my mind, I don't know if this was like a Mandela effect, but I thought there was this news cycle about how Nev Campbell wasn't offered enough money for Scream 6 Decided not to do it, talked about it in one interview, and the internet blew up. And then I thought that there was a second news cycle where they upped the pay for Nev Campbell. And now she was back on for Scream 6. And now that Scream 6 is coming out, everyone's like, well, I can't believe Nev Campbell's not in it. And then I was like, wait a minute, she is in it. We had this whole thing. And so I was like Googling. There's no no information about them upping the pay and her coming back on board. And so like either that was a figment of my imagination or I saw into the future or everything's wrong that I think I know because my theory now based on all of this, my invented memories and my real memories is that Nev Campbell's going to surprise appear in Scream 6 and 
could show up in the end. Maybe she's Ghostface. I mean, like, that wouldn't make sense to me. But uh, I, I'm, like, very hopeful now that Nev could be making an appearance. But obviously, please don't confirm or deny. That's that's my theory that I'm putting out there. Well, first of all, how did you feel about my facial non-reacting? I feel like I did it I almost felt like you weren't listening to me. No, I was. I just was practicing <laughs> my mindfulness around not reacting. You're, you're a very good actress. <laughs> I'm very good. All I will say in response to that, without obviously not spoiling, is that your thoughts, your thoughts going into it are the same thoughts that I had going into mm, it as well. Interesting. Um, and the only other thing I want to say about the movie real quick is just like, I just never really vibed with this like new era of actors. I'm admittedly like not a big Jenna Ortega fan. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see the similarities between her and Aubrey Plaza. I feel like where Aubrey Plaza's delivery feels very natural, Jenna's f- feels a little bit more affected to me always. I feel like she's like performing this idea of like, mm-hmm. um, what's the, how would you even describe it? That's sort of just like, I don't know. The, I don't give a fuck energy or like the yeah. the not monotone. What's like monotone expression? Like it's like, a, uh, it's like a a plausian attitude. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> anywho, I just feel like the characters and the actors, everything just came together really beautifully in this film. And more than anything, it just like got me energized about like the power of a thing. Okay, so this actually relates to Survivor, right? Where it's like this idea that like. You think this thing has turned a corner and it can no longer be good, which is certainly how I felt after Scream 5, especially with regards to like the treatment of the legacy characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and coming into this film, or coming out of this film rather, I'm kind of like, okay, there's more life in this franchise mm. and there's ways to reinvigorate something like this. Whereas like I said to Billy, I was like, I want to write a spec script for season, for Scream 7 now. I'm like that sort of like amped and I finally feel like these new characters introduced in Scream 5 like have legs to become like to continue on. Anywho, I'm real amped about it. I'm amped about Scream 6 and I'm amped about Survivor season 44. You know that when I was a kid, my very first personal email address, I don't know if you remember this era of the internet where every website had an option, an email option where you could sign up for an email address with that website. And so my very first personal that was not tied to my family email address was Sydney Prescott at scream.net, which was a scream fan page. (laughs) And I used it all of it like i used it for years so if you have any complaints about this podcast send them to sydney prescott at scream.net i got a phone call by the way from ghostface the other day and so this is a thing you can do you can put your phone number into this website and ghostface will call you i didn't put my phone number in well i did put it in for some friends but you not among them <laughs> but i will say it's like I, there's a world in which you like do that for some people that like don't find it funny and are like genuinely disconcerted. Cause I was gonna do it to Billy and I was like, cause Billy won't even watch a trailer for Scream. Mm. Like, like last night coming home, I'm literally walking on air and I'm like trying to tell Billy like anything and he's just like, you know, blank faced, not to be confused with ghost face. Um, so I would advise, yeah, you go to Scream has an option on their website. You could type in a friend's name and phone number. Which I do think is fun, but like, oh, it's be so careful fun. about who you do it for. Yeah, I well, I told my friends, so I hung up. I should do it to Coolidge. And they called me back. They called. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Sorry. They called me back Hello. and were like reacting to like the fact that I hung up, uh, which was wild, I thought. So I recorded the call back and I sent it to my friend, like a text group. And one of them was like, I would call the cops. I was like, well, I'm not calling the cops. Let me Google this first. And that was a very quick answer for me. But one of them was like, I would 100% call the cops, which like I feel like some people must have done. Yeah, absolutely. It was wild, though. It's a great marketing scene. They should just like robocall. They should just get, get access the phone yeah. book and call people. Yeah, I do like that. I did. The, there was the marketing that was like ghost face popping up like in photos around places. And I was like, that was a little oh, like, yeah. I don't know. Didn't like on the subway. That. Yeah. Um, also, sorry, not to shit on your beloved Canada, but like, my whole thing is like, I'm all, you know, shoot movies wherever. Don't set a movie that is like, so 
known for its location. Mm -hmm. Like it's very much, that's a huge part of mm -hmm. Scream. And they made a big thing of like, it's the first movie not taking place in Woodsboro. They're moving to New York City. And like, not only was it not shot at all in New York City, you would think they would have done like a few days of production to get like a ghost face chase through Times Square mm -hmm. or I don't know, a scene on the Brooklyn Bridge or just something, nada. And there's like a moment in which it's like supposed to be Central Park and they like don't even make the effort to like make it look like Central Park. There's this body of water that I was like, this isn't the Jackie O Reservoir, and it's not the big lake on the south on the south side. I was like, this doesn't exist. So I just was like expecting a little bit more like effort to like paint New York City, even if not filmed in New York City. Uh, that is uh, here we go. I'm veering into critiques. Anywho, eight point five out of ten for Scream Six. Was it filmed in Toronto or Vancouver? Uh, no, in Montreal. Ugh. Good luck passing that shithole off as New York. Wow, how do you really feel? I kid, I kid. Well, let's talk Survivor 44. Almost like a slasher movie. Yeah. Wait, but you so I, I said how I felt, but let's, let's put mm. the mirror up. Oh, yeah. Uh, how, uh, how are you feeling about this? Episode? I felt fine. It felt like a really oh. standard episode <laughs> of Survivor. I liked Wait, that there really? was... <laughs> Uh, I'm interested in some things that went on, for sure. This felt I'm, like a standard episode of Survivor to you. And maybe that's a good thing. Let's look at it that way. Okay. Uh, it didn't feel like a shitty episode of Survivor. It felt like a standard episode where I didn't... like. And the reason I say that is I don't think that this vote had a lot of impact. I don't think the results had a lot of impact. Uh, we barely n knew Helen didn't really know why she went home. Um, but what I did appreciate was that there was no trip to Advantage Island and there was no reward challenge. And so we got a lot of time. You know, our big complaint coming out of episode one was we don't know who these people are. We don't really like get who's working with who, where I feel like they spent time with each tribe and told us a little bit about the dynamics in those tribes. And yeah, there's some fun characters emerging. And uh, yeah. I felt, I felt it was a standard episode of Survivor in a good way. Fair. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. Because like I said, we do get little glimpses of what's going on with each tribe to the point where I didn't, I legitimately didn't know. Sometimes you get to the immunity challenge and you obviously know who's going to tribal council because we spent a bunch of time with them pre-immunity challenge here. I felt like it was a real toss-up on, on who could be going because I almost thought that the Ratu tribe, the Orange tribe, was going to be headed back to tribal because we got so much fallout from the vote before with mm -hmm. Matthew talking about... I think Matthew thinks it was a great idea that he used his shot in the dark. I disagree. But uh, the reason he did it was, as we speculated last week, that... He didn't want to draw a line in the sand. He didn't want to say, here's who I'm aligned with. He wanted to sort of let see where the chips fall and then be able to move forward based on that information. So by not voting, it leaves Kane as the only person on the tribe kind of on the outs because he's the only person left that did vote for Brandon. So yeah, that, yeah I feel like we're not like necessarily progressing with that tribe. Uh, it's just that everybody's kind of like biding their time as Kane digs himself into a deeper hole as he digs into holes and trees. Well, I think the thing with Matthew's like play is that whether or not you think it was like a good move, it's a move that I don't know if we have seen before. Mm. I could be wrong, but like, I think it was definitely, it was very strategic and it was using some of the new, it was using the game in a way that we haven't yet seen, which I thought was interesting. But also I just want to say too, it was so ideal that they didn't go back to tribal because the worst case scenario with these three tribe divisions is two episodes back to back, especially the first two episodes with the same tribe going to tribal because it means you have two thirds of the cast that yet again, yeah. you're losing screen time with. So in terms of like the possible outcomes here, I agree with you. Like the story didn't really move forward too much, but it like sort of allowed for more stories to emerge, which I think is the best case scenario. 
Yeah, totally agreed. I had that exact thought as Jeff was telling the Tika tribe to dip their torches in the fire at tribal council. I thought, oh, this is nice that it's, he must be pleased. And I'm pleased that in episode two, we have a new tribe dipping their torches in. And hopefully in episode three, we have a new tribe dipping their torches in because I would love to see the Soka tribe go to tribal as well, because that's shaping up to be an interesting dynamic over there as well. Uh, What about Matthew in the immunity challenge revealing that he built the snake maze in his backyard. So I think it's, this is a good uh, inflection point for us to, to discuss this because we have, yeah, that instance you just mentioned with Matthew. And then we have, is his name Connor? Carson. Carson. Okay. It's, I'm going to get there. Uh, <laughs> you know what I thought about? I, maybe I'll do this for next time. I should just have a printout so I can, yeah. for easy reference. Yeah. Um, but uh, then we have Carson talking about the fact that he 3D printed some of these challenges. I guess my question is, and I don't think this is like a controversial stance here, but it's like you kind of start to wonder if people are doing this, um, which is essentially gaming the system here, shouldn't the system change? I'm not sure why the show is applauding people for coming in. And we, you know, we have this, I think, wasn't it Evie in 41? Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's like we've had this happen before. To me, it's like this is a sign of, I mean, and we've mentioned before for reasons beyond this that we just have fatigue over watching the same challenges over and over again. But this should be like the most overt signal to production to say, we want to circumvent this. We love that you're a fan of the show. Um, And there are definitely things you can do to, you know, excel at the challenges that are less specific. For instance, like, you can become a better swimmer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can, you know, work on your endurance. Like, there's there's ways in which you can prepare for Survivor, but I don't think you should be able to prepare to the point where you're 3D printing challenges. I think credit to them for doing that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest and be mean for a moment. Like, I'm a little bit, like... <laughs> don't you have like better things to do with your time? Um, That's where my head went immediately. But then like you could argue like you and I have devoted fucking hours and hours to watching this fucking show. So do we have better things to do with our time? Who's to say? Um, But I'm just not sure that that was like the way that the show seemed really proud to present this in, Mm -hmm. in both of these instances. And I saw that more as a red flag. Yeah. Well, I think that as much as I've been hating on Carson in our preseason and episode one coverage, I think he was right here that I was surprised that Matthew said this out loud because why? It's fine if you want to do that. Hey, if you're in the Survivor casting process, it's going well, you feel like you're going to get on the show, do everything you can to make sure that you're going to succeed on the show. You don't have to share it. I think that that just, you're putting an unnecessary target on your back. You're outing yourself as this super fan who has done all this preparation. That becomes an issue potentially post-merge when we're dealing with individual immunity challenges. I don't, if I know that somebody has practiced a whole bunch of stuff, even fire making, like we talk about, if you're going to find out you're going to go on Survivor, figure out how to make a fire. And a lot of people do. I don't think you should be advertising that. So I think that Matthew was caught up in the moment, really excited. Jeff is asking him like how he did it and he wants to share this. But I think players don't often resist the urge to overshare as much as they should. Which is why it's exciting seeing multiple players this season finding idols and choosing not to tell anyone. Yeah, Because I feel like that's so refreshing because I feel like most smart people, especially many of us who watch the show, are like, if I ever found an idol, I would tell no one, even the person I am in most lockstep with, because we've just seen time and time again that it does not benefit you to have someone know about your idol until you're going to play your idol. And that's a great time. And even maybe you could even argue maybe it's not. Maybe it's never a good time. Anyway, but I just it's nice to see people having a new approach to finding an idol. Agreed. Do you feel like Kane has any shot of reintegrating into this group or does he need that idol that he's looking for? I think he's could be fine. I, I because we've had such limited time with that tribe seeing the dynamic outside of like that one conversation, I think it's early enough that he can find his way out of that. Um and oftentimes, and we've seen this on the show time and time again, like when you have some when you have a situation like this in which it's like you know, you make a move and it black backfires. Oftentimes when you go to that person and sit them down on the sand and have a talk about it, you can actually get to be in a better place with mm-hmm. them and actually like 
create a really strong alliance from the connection of like having that one-on-one and you know having both of your names out there that can actually work to your benefit in the long game yeah i agree and i also think that the way that it was presented was not necessarily the whole truth because at the end of the day all these people i mean the people who played their shot in the dark and uh you know didn't didn't have a vote etc they were all happy for this plan to be that brandon goes home so i actually feel like brandon is still on the outs and he is a big physical threat. He's an NFL player. Like, I think there's a lot of reasons not to keep him around or not keep him around forever, maybe to help win some challenges. But I still feel like the majority of that tribe was happy for him to go home. But that's why I think if you're Kane, you go to Brandon privately. His mm. name's Brandon, right? Yeah. You go to Brandon privately and say, listen, I was falling in line with what was said to me to do. And so I'm actually the person here who's like, my cards are out. I'm showing Mm -hmm. you who I am in this game. Everyone else is trying to make it seem like, you know, I'm the scapegoat here, but I'm coming to you. And also if I were Kane, it's like form an alliance. Again, like kind of what I was just saying, it's like use your one-time enemy ship to create an alliance and say like, you know who, this is who I am. Everyone else is faking you. Yeah, agreed. Okay, let's talk about the Green Tribe, the Soka Tribe, because there's some characters emerging here, including our showman's couple of Franny and Matt. Again, still confusing to me that there's two Matts in the game, and I'm trying to keep them straight, but we've got Matt and Matthew. But Franny and Matt are sparking a little connection here. I'm not sure that I'm seeing the sparks flying on the screen. <laughs> In terms of showmances, like I'm not feeling a lot of chemistry between them, but they're telling us there's chemistry between them. So I, I have to believe them. Um, but, you know, all we're really getting from it is, is you know, they're joking about Matt's long rod and uh, they're sharing information with each other. So uh, I have to believe that they do, in fact, have a connection. How are you feeling about the showmance? I'm into it. I just feel like it's one of those things where it's like, there's already discussion on Twitter of like, are we shipping them? And like, what's their name? And it's like, I'm all for like the flames of this beginning to ignite. But like, I feel like we, we like as a fan base and not just a survivor, just fan bases in general tend to go in too hard too quickly Mm. where it's like, I like the seeds of this. Let's see what happens. I agree with you where like, I was getting more like, best friends forever vibes than anything I was getting else. more Gabby and Christian vibes. Yeah. Um, but I really do like them both individually. And he really emerged for me in this episode. And I just got to say, like, losing a pet to a breakup, like, I've never experienced that. But, like, that would be really devastating. Like, I actually, like, have a lot of sympathy for that. Or, um, that just seems really sad. However, if I'm Franny, it's a big red... It, and if this is a romance, in fact, it's a red flag to me just being that he just got out of a relationship, I would just sort of log that information in my mind. Game aside, I'm just talking, like, relationship-wise, mm-hmm. and just be like, he is a wounded bird at this moment as is anyone who who is broken up with i'm not saying him specifically so just you know i would say tread lightly but i thought one of the interesting like strategic things to emerge from all of this is sort of like that question of when you're in a six-person tribe and you know you find someone and whether it be you like them as a friend or no matter what there's that balance of who you spend your time with that I think gets a lot more noticeable when there's only six people. And there's just naturally going to be people that you gravitate towards that are just easier to hang out with. And then people that you just like don't have anything in common with and never really form a relationship. And we've heard so many players that have come on Drop Your Buffs and just been like, I didn't have, I didn't talk to this person, not because I didn't like them, but because like we just didn't connect because I was busy connecting with other people. I think that like that in this six tribe format, or excuse me, three tribes of six format makes it difficult. Like, I don't know how, how, yeah, how do you play that? Because it's one thing to be like, we shouldn't hang out the rest of the day. But then it's like, I don't know. I, I, it's like, but yeah, but like, I don't want to sit there alone or have to talk to someone I don't want to talk to. It's an interesting thing to like have to negotiate. Yeah, totally. And as much as they are talking about not 
hanging out all the time and not trying to appear as this duo in the game. Everybody in the tribe seems to be picking up that they are in fact a duo, and Claire even said that this could be a liability for Franny. Yes, which makes it seem so then that Claire seems to not feel not feel the inverse that it could be a liability yeah. for Matt, which is interesting. Well, I feel like yeah, I feel like what that told me was that Claire has a closer relationship with Franny than with Matt. Right. At least that's how I'm reading into it. And so Claire wants to work with Franny, but is concerned that this relationship that Franny is forming could be a liability for her game. And I guess by extension, Claire's game. Yeah. I also feel like we got that really great Claire meme. Mm -hmm. Um, Her reacting with uh, disgust to witnessing their flirtation. I've heard people saying this is like the first great meme from the modern era of Survivor. I don't know about that. I have to think about from that. From the modern I feel, era? I don't know about yeah, that. I, I'm, I'm, I didn't say it. I'm telling you this is what wow. I'm hearing. But it's like, I even feel like we've gotten iconic Carolyn memes in episode one that yeah. already are sort of up there. Yeah. Sean, we should at some point explore the memes of Survivor. Yeah, we should. It's such a shame that the first, I don't know, 15 seasons or so really existed in a pre-meme culture. Because I think that one of the very first memes to really emerge as a proper internet meme uh, was the chicken vote out in China where, you know, he's, he yells, damn, or something like that. I can't even remember what he says. But that was a big meme. And then and then from Gabon, you have Maddie's smile as everybody else is shocked, which was a huge, huge meme online used in many non-survivor-related discussions. Um, I can't think of others that really stick out, but I'm sure there's a whole list of them. In the new era, memes... There's got to be some. <laughs> I've probably, I would have to go back in my Twitter, uh, but there's got to be some. But I do feel like it's a shame that there's so much great potential from the first 12, 13, 14 seasons that just didn't have the opportunity to emerge as a meme. But that's why people like you and I exist. Exactly. I'm still trying. I'm still trying to make Helen Glover's Final Tribal Council speech, a meme. I, I, I was getting there because I had this clip forever that I kept posting where she goes, she's asking Brian to basically say he's sorry for betraying her. And he says it. She forces him to say it and he says it. And then she sort of like frowns and goes, it's a little late for that. And <laughs> I would tweet that daily. You do uh, love I, I gave up. I gave up. <laughs> Okay. But you know what? What we appreciate, what we appreciate about you, is your commitment to the, the joke, to the gag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Over commitment? Question mark. Who's to say? But either way, there's commitment. Uh, one time, I did tweet that meme, and Domino's responded to it. Was it Domino's like Netherlands? Or there's some Domino's account that loves interacting with gay people. No, I'm serious. It wasn't. I think it was Domino. It was just Domino's. Okay, because there's a Domino's account that like loves Drag Race and like oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a specific. It's an international Domino's. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because it was that I ordered a pizza and then after I ordered the pizza, they were like, "Oh, by the way, you had enough points for a free pizza," and so it's like a little late for that. And then they responded saying, well, there's always next time. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, Domino's. Let's talk before we move on from the Soka tribe, I think. We have to talk about Danny finding the key to the birdcage and being the only person to open up that birdcage and play it the way that it was meant to be played, where he gets the idol. He knows which one's the real idol and which one's the fake idol. We'll get to that in a second with Carolyn. But... He puts the fake idol back in the wrapping and it did come with two notes. So he was reading a little note about the fake one. So I presume he would have wrapped the fake in the real note so that it seems more legit. Puts it back in the birdcage, locks it. I don't know what he did with the key, but presumably rehide the key, let somebody find it. I think he played it perfectly. 
Okay, so two points on that. Um, One, the location of the idol felt a little obvious. Um, As Billy pointed out when we were watching it live, it was a location of the key. The location, yeah, excuse me, the location of the key. Yeah, sorry. Okay, it was in a man-made structure. Yeah, it definitely was. And it was like literally right in there. I just yeah. found that a little bit odd considering what Carolyn had to go through to find hers. Um, obviously, everything she went through, she didn't have to go through. But but still, <laughs> hers was a little bit more hidden, I felt. And then the yeah. other thing, and I've always sort of wondered about this, he opens the cage and then he reads the thing right there. Yeah. And And we've had this conversation a lot where it's like, if there's a camera tracking these people... You know, we had this issue, I think, at, in 43 at some point when they're like, when the Id- they weren't finding the idol when it was like right in front of it and the camera kept like tilting up to where the idol was and then coming back to them. And we sort of wondered like, hey, if you were a contestant, would that give you any indication? Well, similarly, it's just, I, I wonder in that situation, you think you want to get in and get out as quickly as possible, as was the case with Carolyn. And he's just like hanging out there reading it. And then you also have instances too, like later on when Carolyn, after she found it, she's doing her talking head and she like screams. And it's like, is there a world in which it's like, is she in earshot of the other players? Mm-hmm. There's just times you're sort of like, how far away are these people? So anyway, when he found, when he finally got the idol, I just was surprised that he would not make any attempt to be a little bit more covert. Yeah, it was definitely bold to be reading the clue there. I mean, we saw when Carolyn found hers, she shoved it in her pants, left the cage empty, of course, assuming you know there was no putting anything back. And at some point she reads it and figures out, I need to put something back here. And so... I mean, it must just be, you've got awareness of where people are, hopefully, uh, that if people are all at the water well and it's like a different direction, then you're just kind of hoping you've got time to deal with this. I imagine you've got some situational awareness. I think with the talking heads, because I did have that thought with Carolyn, either they're so far away that the noise doesn't make a difference. And, you know, you've got the waves crashing. Like, we don't really hear that on TV, but you've got waves crashing. you got sounds, right? Jungle sounds. So it probably is drowned out. But I feel like in Carolyn's defense, she's screaming all the time. So she could be screaming about anything. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But good for Danny. Danny's got this thing. And uh, he put the fake idol back in the cage. So very excited for somebody to find the fake idol because that's that's what this was all about, right? Uh, That's the whole point, I think, of the birdcage idol. But... Let's talk about how they dealt with it on the Tika tribe because they all go idol hunting and Carolyn's got like a real interesting montage here where first of all, she finds this thing, which I've always thought about. They're always looking for idols in holes and I would not be shoving my hand into any old hole on an island. And here now in this episode, we had two. We had Kane found a crab in a hole, which like, I don't want to find that. I mean, I definitely don't want to find a snake, but I don't want to find a crab either. I'm not reaching my hand in any hole. <laughs> not the whole hand. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so Carolyn finds a snake in a hole and is screaming. She's in this tree. That, and it's a rare moment in Survivor where like sometimes these things happen and they're like doing these cutaways to a snake in a tree. But it's not really like you can tell it's not in the moment. Uh-huh. But no, this snake is in the tree. Like we're getting it in the same shot with Carolyn. So uh, I wouldn't be hanging out in that tree. Like I would have fallen backwards out of the tree probably. I do think one thing about this moment that worked so well is that my inclination originally is to be like, what the fuck is she doing up there? There's never going to be an idol hidden up in a tree like that. But then the great thing about Carolyn is like she openly admits that like she's just trying to create memories. And for her, the idea of being on Survivor and climbing a tree looking for an idol is objectively more fun for her than looking in the places she know it will be because she wants to be able to come back with the story of like, I climbed up the tree looking for an idol and then climbed down and found it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's part of the story of her time on Survivor that she's trying to build. And I appreciate that. That sense of adventure, which I guess we got a little bit of from, what's his name in episode, Matthew in episode one. But that felt a little bit, I mean, granted they're both to no end, but at least with Carolyn, it's like, 
it was, I, I understood Carolyn's energy in that moment. And I gotta say, like, I think Carolyn really emerged in this episode for obvious reasons. Do you, do we stop now to do the poop teeth moment or Absolutely. we come back to that? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Wow. So <laughs> Billy sent me a tweet about it, which I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll find a way to share it online. But I have to say that like all tea I'm not someone that like loves Survivor Twitter. Um, I just think it tends to be like very uh, reductive. Yeah, really reductive. But like Billy and I love Real Housewives of Potomac Twitter because it sort of like takes moments and extracts them and like finds so much comedy gold. Some of the tweets emerging about Carolyn and the poop and the tooth, the tooth and the poop. Um, even just saying that, like, my God, um, that was a real moment that I feel like people seized on in a really like smart way. And I feel like there's, I mean, we could even make some memes around that. That is wild. That is a really <laughs> wild story told with such conviction. Um, I hope. Do we we don't have confirmation that the loved one visit is not happening, right? I mean, I know it's likely not, but we don't. I have assume it's not, but we don't have confirmation. Okay, we've got to meet Carolyn's son. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to meet the person that Carolyn produced. I'm really. I want to meet in... the person that calls Carolyn mother. Yes. Yes. Um. So, but I do want to say, so Carolyn to me is not emerging as mother. But what's emerging is something really fun. The energy is just not mother energy, but the energy is certainly like I don't have a term for it just yet. Um, but I'm I'm really liking it. Yeah, I think that this story about looking for her son's lost tooth in his poop for days was days. great because it did relate to what she was doing. She's like, I can find an idol. I searched in shit for days to find a tooth. And so that was good. But it's also just a memorable story because you don't hear that. You don't hear that string of words yeah. together every day. <laughs> there was a great tweet from Dr. Amanda R. Who said, girl, just put a Tic Tac under the pillow. The tooth fairy is you. Which I loved. Um, because it really does illustrate this carolyn approach to life where it's like you didn't have to do all that and for yet. whose benefit your sons your son doesn't know what's going on like he just wants the money from the tooth fairy it's like you're the tooth Etsy fairy and find a little <laughs> and, like prop tooth but you're saying caroline carolyn is the tooth fairy i don't know i'm not fully convinced that carolyn knows that hmm well, she's in for a big surprise when yeah. there's no money under the pillow. Wait till she hears about Santa. <laughs> what about Santa? Nothing. <laughs> Is there anything that you would search through your poop for? So the one thing that I would hire someone to search through my poop for would be my engagement rings. Somebody might pay you. Actually, can I... Pause for one second. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as we mentioned engagement rings, I was like, I was like, I haven't worn my engagement ring today. And then I was like, I just had to make sure it was where I left it. And it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. It would have been bothering me the rest of the recording. <laughs> Did you okay, search so, it through your poop to find it? Yeah. Yeah. I had to go and just, you know. Dig through real quick. I washed my hands, not to worry. Um, but yeah, so engagement ring. Outside of that, no. But the other thing too is it's like, I was just going to say I'd hire someone, but then it's like, what are you telling the person you're hiring? I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah. I think I think you kind of accept your loss. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you're like, I know it's right there. Like it's in within reach. It's like how bad do you want it? Well, and it's, if it's wait, your wait, poop, wait, 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 wait. But like, isn't there a world in which it's like your stomach acids would break down a tooth? Not a tooth. Not a tooth. Not a tooth. No. You're like so sure of that. Hundred percent sure. I can't even break down corn. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Do people Thank God. teeth a lot? Like, do people... I guess that happens. I guess it happens. They're already... Yeah, I think it happens. No, it, it certainly... Yeah, it certainly happens. Um, But I don't know. I feel like this is... It's great because, like, this is definitely, like, exit interview press-wise. It's like, this is huge as far as, like, something to explore with Carolyn. Yeah, literal fodder yeah. for an exit press interview. Yeah. Okay, well... Carolyn does find the idol, but I think we have a little mix-up here because in her confessional where she's showing the idols, she says, this is great. I have a real idol here. And she shows the the little medallion, which we just found out from Danny was the fake idol. And then she goes, and then I have this string of beads that means nothing at all. She's got them crisscrossed. Do people know this? Is this the thing people have picked up on? I've seen it mentioned on Twitter. Mm, I do not pick up on this. Okay, she definitely... I mean... I that's... think has them... Unless they've mixed it up on the Tika tribe just to change things up, but I don't see why they would do that. But specifically, Danny says, you've got this coin, which is meaningless and worthless. You can do with it what you like. And you've got this string of beads, which is an idol. Carolyn's got them crisscrossed. And I think that this could lead to something really fantastic because when she did put the bag back, I thought, oh my God, she's going to put back the real idol and somebody's going to have a real idol and she thinks they're going to have a fake idol, but actually she has a fake idol and she's going to try to pull off a plane. and it's going to go disastrously wrong, but she didn't put it back. She put back an empty bag, which everybody very clearly recognized as an empty bag. So she kind of screwed that up, but she's still got this opportunity to plant a fake, what she thinks is a fake idol, but which is actually a real idol. All I think it's going to take for her is to like reread those rules and like maybe she'll sort it out in her own mind. But I just think it's interesting that they showed us, they showed her showing us the fake idol saying, I have this real one. And then the real idol saying, and this fake one. That could be really, it could be a disaster. I will say, though, it's just, like, this is such a, again, like, one of those, uh, you know, signs that we have a good season on our hand. I remember last season, um, season 43, when Jesse found the idol. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and then also didn't, oh, no, it's that other guy, too. Who was the guy that oh, was? It, Cody. Cody. When Cody found the idol, and it was just like, oh, God, like, not this guy finding the idol. And so one thing that's so exciting about Carolyn finding the idol is just the idea that, like, that's the exact person you want to possess Mm -hmm. an idol. Yeah, totally. And this whole thing about Carson being a master body reader and being able to, he's read all the books. Uh, He's studied up. He's going to join the FBI. Uh, and he's dead wrong. And I don't know if this is the thing that leads to Helen getting voted out because when we get Carson's POV on each individual person and what he thinks they're hiding or not hiding, and it's Helen he fingers as like, she's crossed her arms. I don't trust her. I thought that was interesting. Because everything else we've seen from Carson is like, I'm young, but I'm smart, and I'm not going to show them that I'm smart. And here we saw a little bit of a dodo moment from him. I often think that if I was on Survivor, my real downfall would be thinking that I can read people's body language. Because you can't read people's body language. Yeah, I I mean, in some instances you can, but I also think that people can be more conscious of their body language than people realize. Yeah. Um, One thing that I did see Helen reveal in her exit interview was, because one thing I think a lot of people were wondering when it came down to things was the sequence of events, because Mm -hmm. Carolyn, her confessional, made it sound like she literally heard footsteps coming, and then they all come back, and then they go to the birdcage, and then not once does anyone wonder whether or not it's Carolyn. They all start to question one another, despite the fact that they've all been together, which, of course, doesn't make sense, and and... Yet again, of course, Helen revealed that there was a a lapse in time between when they got back and when they went to the birdcage. So there was actually quite, there was a reason why everyone would be questioned. And I did find it a little bit like, I, the moment was almost like so chaotic that I was, but then again, it's like, well, maybe Carolyn's just chaotic, but I was like, I don't think we needed 
them, we didn't need the footsteps coming as she was moving the thing if you didn't have the footage. And, I, and, yeah. Whatever, yeah. and whatever they did have felt very Franken edited. And it's like, it's the moment still lands where it's like Carolyn is so um, wacky that like it didn't occur to her that she'd have to go back again. It didn't need like the added beat of like the time pressure because you're going to feel a pressure whether or not they're approaching because you don't know at any moment they could be there. Um, yeah. Something that they don't talk about on Survivor enough, I think, because it really does affect the game in a lot of cases, is that what Helen said, I read this in Mike Bloom's exit interview with her, is that she used this phrase, which you'll hear often on Survivor if you're looking for it, or you'll hear outside of Survivor about Survivor, which was that she said, well, at the time we were all together and Carolyn wasn't there because she was, quote, on a walk. And what on a walk means in Survivor terminology is that she's filming a confessional. And so they'll say, the producers will come up to people and say, okay, it's time for you to go for a walk. That's that's the terminology they use. And so Helen saying that means that at the time they were all together and Carolyn wasn't there because she was recording a confessional, which is actually like great timing for Carolyn to not have to be there and have her body language read by Carson. And I think that this probably comes into play in a lot more scenarios than Survivor ever tells us. And I wish that there was a way on the show that they could convey to us. Like, I wish they could openly say, oh, well, like, we can't, we couldn't, we couldn't ask Carolyn because she was filming a confessional. Right. Like, well, that wouldn't detract at all from, but I guess. Yeah. In fact, it would make it feel, it feels more like the reality TV. If if we're lifting the veil, if we're seeing a producer interview Carolyn, if we're seeing the cameras on the boat with Jeff, I wouldn't mind getting a little bit of like, oh yeah, like this is how the show works. Sometimes we're not all in camp and sometimes you can take advantage of that. Like, that's great. It's just like a reward when somebody goes off on a reward and everybody else is left behind and they can strategize. Hey, so-and-so's on a confessional. Like, let's chat. Like in Big Brother, somebody's in the diary room. People can talk while that person's away. I have to say, too, it's like it was very obvious where this vote was going. For Well, A, because I think Carson made the better move for his game, like what I think is the more obviously better move, but also the fact that we just didn't get any real confessionals from Helen and especially not from... who's, Who's the other person on the tribe? Sarah. Sarah, like Sarah was like purpled pretty yeah. much. Um, and so it became very obvious. And also like, yeah, if you're Carson, you should absolutely. Also, if you're a true super fan of this show, this is the other thing that I think is like the unspoken thing. If you're coming on this show and you're a super fan and you recognize, you should recognize the fact that Jam Jam and Carolyn are going to be very beloved yeah. by audiences you're going to want them to stick around because part of your job, and this is, again, the unspoken thing, is you are trying to create iconography. Mm-hmm. You want your season to be up there amongst the best, and it's very clear, no offense to Helen and Sarah, I know we didn't get a lot of time with them, and maybe we'll get more with Sarah in the coming weeks, but I'm not getting iconic vibes from Sarah. Um, I'm not getting many <laughs> vibes at all. And so, of course, if you're Carson, you should want these two characters around. Yes, agreed. And I love that you said that because I had that exact thought when Carson went to talk to Carolyn and Jam Jam about the vote. And it it felt to me at first that he was doing a double agent thing to like see where their head was at and then was going to go back and share that with Helen and Sarah. What we found out from the exit press, it's, it's sometimes nice to record these. We're recording a little later than our usual Thursday morning. So we actually get the benefit of having the exit press, which in Helen's exit press, she said that uh, they knew that Sarah told both Carson and Helen that she had lost her vote. And so it was no longer a question of this is going to be a 3-2 vote or like Carson is like the true swing here. At the end of the day, it came down to Carson being like, well, I can align with these two ladies who have one vote between them, and then we're 2-2, or I can play it safe and go with Carolyn and Jam Jam, and we have a clean 3-1 to one vote done, which is, I think, I think that's very, very sound reasoning to go with Carolyn and Jam Jam, but I do think there is something to Carson's decision that is about keeping iconic players in the game. Also, mind you, you know, in thinking ahead to the merge, it's like, these two are big personalities that are going to, 
either go two ways. What one, they help ingratiate you with every with with the other tribes or blah blah blah. And or if your tribe is being targeted, I would think you would be on the bottom of list of targets because both of them are in theory bigger personalities tend to go quicker. Um, it just they just draw they suck up more air in the room. Mm-hmm. But I'm just relieved that this is something that I think is I will give Carson a, a feather in, in his is it a quill cap. In his, yeah, but what's, feather in his cap. But what's a quill? Is a quill also a feather? Uh, yeah, it's a feather pen. Okay, I'm giving him a quill. Oh wait, you don't put a pen <laughs> in a hat though. Is there a feather emoji? No, you put a feather in a cap. It's okay, a feather sorry. in your cap. Okay, wait, sorry, but there but there is a feather emoji, so the feather emoji is going to be the emoji of this episode. Okay. It's the feather that I am giving to Carson because I feel like he, that sort of, it was just nice to see these two underdogs, Carolyn and Jam Jam, find, and again, it's not like Carson's like the cool guy linking up with the oddballs. It's just different shades of oddballery. It's mm-hmm. nice to see them all come together, and I, I like all three of them. And I yeah. have to say, briefly, I'm really, really liking Jam Jam. I was nervous at the outset that they were going to give him what we've seen before of like this classic sort of like big personality, and I actually think that they, being the producers, but also Jam Jam, have done a good job of like, it's been the right amount of Jam Jam so far. And I, and I love his relationship with Carolyn and I loved him reenacting Carolyn because I feel like he like kind of like really nailed it. <laughs> uh, I just, I really like this trio. What do you think about the comparison that Jam Jam made of Carolyn to Let's a mix of it. Goofy and Cher? Okay, I love it. I definitely see the goofy. I definitely certainly do. in the physical comedy of the limbs just kind of going everywhere. Yeah, I see it. I, I mean, shares not where I would have gone immediately, mm-hmm. but I kind of get it. In the scheme of like people presenting, this person reminds me of the specificity of those references. Mm-hmm. It's working for me. <laughs> Does Carolyn remind you of anybody? Okay, this is going to be like a deep cut. I don't think most people, but so there's a Broadway actress. She's one of my favorite actors who unfortunately is sort of off the radar. But her her name is Sherry Renee Scott. Um, she was Ursula and the Little Mermaid on Broadway, but she was also Amneris and Aida and Kathy in the last five years. Uh, and she replaced Adina Menzel in Rent originally. Anyway, she's Sherry Renee Scott. She reminds me of Sherry Renee Scott. There's, I feel like Lisa Kudrow could do a good job playing Carolyn, but mm. not to say that like they remind me of one another, but I just, I feel like Lisa Kudrow would have fun with the character of Carolyn. I could see Holly Hunter getting in because Holly Hunter mm. has that quality where like Holly Hunter can like get in the mud. Um, and you know, we all know Carolyn loves mud. Um, but does she <laughs> remind me of anyone? Uh, I have to think on it, but like, yes, yeah, but fair. I don't know who, do you have someone in mind? No, nobody. I thought I, you would, I thought you would nail this. Oh, sorry. Um, well, let's let's turn it to the listeners because we've we've done yeah. the who would play. We've done the who would play Carolyn in the life of her movie. We've mm-hmm. done that gag before. I want to know who does Carolyn remind you of? Not who would play her in a movie, but who does she remind you of? As okay, obscure... so this is in addition to the feather. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm asking for submissions. Oh, submissions. Okay. Oh, got it. Submissions that we can read out on the podcast or play on the podcast. But so let's do, let's just, let's specify it. So, hi, my name is blank. I'm from blank. And the person that I think Caroline reminds me of most is. Yeah. I mean, you can fudge it a little bit, but I want And if you want to do a combo like Goofy and Cher, I'm happy to take that. I like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. You get, that's bonus points. Yeah. Okay. Love that. (laughs) okay anything else we need to talk about here i think that at the tribal council uh she does have another iconic moment there where she starts to cry and jeff i think feels like whoa carolyn really feels in trouble here Uh, but then jam jam reveals no 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 carolyn cries when she opens a papaya i liked that i like that too I um, also liked when she was voting and she went to the chessboard and was like, why does there have to be so many pieces here? A little critique of the set decoration, but also, if you recall what I said last week, I not to get Adam Klein in Winners at War about this, but I do feel like there could be something hidden in the voting confessional. 
Okay. And I've, that's happened before on international seasons, right? Is that uh, in the voting confessional, I'm trying to remember. There might be. Um, I feel like there was something in Brains versus Braun in Australia in the voting confessional. But why Adam Klein thought that there was one uh, in the podium at Tribal Council was because he had seen that happen in Survivor South Africa. And then it did also happen on the last season of Australia. So there is precedent for things being at Tribal Council internationally. However, Jeff, and we haven't mentioned this season, that Jeff has a podcast on fire with Jeff Probst. Not Jeff Probst is on fire, but on fire with Jeff Probst. And I have to say, I struggled with the first one. I didn't finish it. I thought it was boring. But, and I haven't had the opportunity to listen to the second episode yet, but um, I'm going to try. And I'm interested. He did say, apparently, that uh, he does not watch any of the international versions and he doesn't watch other reality shows because he doesn't want to feel influenced by them. And he doesn't want to, he said that sometimes we have an idea and we really like the idea. And if I see that it's already played out somewhere else, I'm going to feel less excited about that idea. So I don't think that that's the best approach. I think there is a lot to say for being influenced by better things. Uh, There's a lot to learn. So uh, anyway, that's his approach. So I don't don't know that they're picking things up from international versions of the show. Mm -hmm. But it does have a little precedent in U.S. Survivor that Adam Klein did think that something could have been there. So they could say, I do think it would be interesting if they went, you know what? It wasn't there that time, but it's there now. I guess, but I don't want Adam Klein's moves being given credit in any way. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Yeah. Um, I did want to bring up the fact, though, that, you know, we were speaking last week about Claire and Venture. Is it capitalism? Well, that was a couple weeks ago. That was in our cast assessment. Got it. So we were... Venture. She's a venture capitalist. We don't know if there's a term called venture capitalism, but... Presumably. There was some confusion about like what it means to be a venture capitalist. And mm-hmm. then <laughs> you put me on the spot with having to mm-hmm. explain my understanding, I should say, of venture mm-hmm. capitalism. I feel like I didn't do a great job, but I wanted to come here today a little bit better prepped to explain venture capitalism to you and to our audience. Take it away. Okay, hi, hello. I'm so excited to demystify what the hell venture capital is. So there's a lot that I have and a lot of thoughts about it. But at its core, I think everyone knows the show Shark Tank and venture capital is literally Shark Tank. But instead of investing in like sponges or scrub daddies, we're investing in like tech companies like an Uber or a Grubhub or something like that. Or at least that's what my company does. And so literally, what does that mean? It means that I meet with founders who have an idea or an early stage product. And me and my fund, we are the people who give them that first million dollars, two million dollars so that they can really start building. Um, So, you know, they can hire employees, they can start to build out a product. Whereas instead of having to totally bootstrap it and pay for it themselves, they give us a little percentage of their company. We give them the funding that they need and support to build their company. And then it goes from there. Um, it sounds really predatory. It sounds weird. I literally thought that it was like going to be a bunch of white men in flip-flops in Silicon Valley. It's partially that, but there's also more to it. That being said, like I'm a big crusader, so there's a lot of change that I'm still calling for and I still believe in. But that is a different story, a different time, and that is venture capital like at its kind of core. From an unnamed source. That is from an unnamed source, but she sounds familiar. I saw that Claire was in Toronto with Hi last weekend. Didn't see them. Didn't catch them out, but uh, they were out at the gay clubs. And when I say gay clubs, I mean really bad gay bars because we actually, we lost all of our clubs during COVID and none of them opened back up. So so hope they had fun. In Toronto. But now, okay. now we know what venture capitalism is. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Um, it's interesting because I got a lot of feedback about our discussion around, oh, as she called it venture capital, which is a real twist. 
But I got some feedback about our discussion about that. And it's funny because somebody who's a listener sent a message and said, by the way, venture capitalism is literally Shark Tank. So confirmed. We have multiple sources. Shark Tank. That's all I needed to hear. So I love that. Okay. But it makes a lot of sense when she breaks it down because it's like, it's both people are getting their there's a back scratch and then it's like everyone wins. Yeah. And then there's also the culture. So there's a flip flop culture. Right. Or not flip flop culture a little bit. Okay. Anything else to say about this episode of survivor? Ah, yeah. One other thing I just wanted to mention briefly. Um, when Jeff makes the comment to Claire, uh, pointing out the fact that she is sitting out of her second challenge in a row and asks the question of whether it was a tribe decision or a personal decision, and Claire responds by saying both, I feel like that was iconography, which is like Jeff attempting to like use psychology to point something out when there was nothing really to point out. It was just a very mm. like, it was not a strategic decision. It was just a decision that made the most sense. And he was like, I'm going to try and like twist and see what happens. And Claire was like, I am not taking that bait. And she gave it right back to him. And I just thought that was like a great moment. And I also like the timing of it. Um, You have like that split second where it's like she thinks about it and then she gives it back to him. And I just, I really like that. I am super like energized about Claire. This uh, surprised me a little bit because I think I forgot. It sort of like jogged my memory, but she's sitting out in back-to-back challenges, which shouldn't be allowed. I don't know. Right? Like she sat out in the last immunity challenge. So it challenge. makes you think. We skipped the reward. And then now she's s- sitting out of this combined reward and immunity challenge. And then I remember back, I think, to maybe it was Heather in 41 kept sitting out. And the, the rules, I think, were clarified to say, well, you can't sit out in back-to-back challenges in the same round of Survivor. Uh so once once somebody's voted out, we have reset. But that doesn't make sense if we're not having reward challenges because then well, Claire could just become sit-out queen on the bench. I don't like that. She should have to participate. Is there a world in which they did film a reward challenge that was cut from No, because episode? it was a combined no, reward. I know, but I'm saying did they just splice that footage in? It's possible. It's possible. I mean, I'm galaxy branding here, but like, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, if yeah. that if it is indeed the case, no, that should not that should not be allowed. That makes no sense. But it's Claire, so we give it a pass. Yeah. Hey, Sandra, Sandra did it many times, and look how well she did. Well, that brings us to the end. Don't forget to comment your feathers. I what a turn that we are. The emoji is inspired by Carson, who inspired so much vitriol in me in the preseason but he didn't i've actually been like biting my tongue but like (laughs) i don't know like i'm i'm not okay so social media presence aside Mm because i think that's its own yeah like yeah and that's what i was basing everything and i get it and and that contains it but solely by his presence alone on the show he is like really giving me like 2013 sean cody model well, yeah. Yeah. He hasn't dated anybody before, though. I think that's going to change. Yeah, me too. I feel like he's going <laughs> to... Never mind. I'm going to put my tongue. Okay. Well, <laughs> if he doesn't win Survivor, he has another career opportunity here. Indeed. As a 2013 Sean Cody model. With that... Uh, this is episode 99 of Drop Your Buffs, which I meant to mention up top. 99. Should have been episode 100, but our Australian recap is uh, a little delayed this week. It's coming, I promise. It's a work in progress. Wait, so had you recorded the Australian when you were meant to record it, this would have been 100? This would have been 100. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What a milestone, though. <laughs> if, you li- if you'd like, I can go back and delete one of our challenge recaps. And then... <laughs> I mean, you can delete the finale. Oh, the Challenge USA started uh, last night. And Sarah Lucina is back. And I've heard- I have not watched it. But I have heard that 
not just not just her motherly presence is back, but so is the boob window top is back mm. in her confessional. It is back for another round. Um, I think that we should maybe do a check in. Let's see what the what a check are in. Yeah, we don't need to watch or we don't need to recap the whole season. I think I kind of don't care. I don't. But care. I am. <laughs> I don't care. I am kind of curious. I, it's like, like you just never such know. You could watch massive... the first episode and you could be like, "Wow, we're we're back." Maybe, but like, it was just such a massive fumbling of the ball. There is yeah. definitely a parallel between the Challenge USA and Survivor Winners at War, mm. where it's like going into it, it's like, "Oh my god!" Like, blah, blah, blah. and then just like we starts off strong, and then all of a sudden it's like the faves start going home, and yeah. If but, only Sarah won Winners at War. If only. But I am hopeful that The Traders Season 2 can be mm. what we wanted The Challenge USA to be. Totally. Okay. All right. Well, look forward to our Australian Survivor recap coming soon. Another big week. Very exciting game over there. And we have a couple of exciting interviews in the works. So look forward to that. Subscribe so you don't miss that. Follow us at, at Drop Your Buffs Pod. By the way, the the winning season for our next Patreon rewatch is Pearl Islands. I said we'd talk offline about that because you just rewatched it. I mean, it would be an iconic recap season. But I don't, I don't think I have it in me to watch the it The only this problem soon. is... So I mean, we can do another vote of a round of voting because we we had a few runners up that were all tied and they're all great so seasons we could put, to recap. Yeah. So we we could open the voting up again. I just feel bad that the democratic process is being uh, usurped. I here. understand, and but usurp would definitely be one one interpretation. But the way I see it is, it's like yes, we will do Pearl Islands. It's just that I just rewatched it with my yeah, fiance's I parents. Understand. So I I'm I would I, I'm open to it, but it just like yeah it just i feel like i'm gonna be lower energy because it's gonna feel anyway but but we'll, we'll think yeah. about it okay well maybe we're gonna be opening it's like i am i am in alignment after having watched it that it, it is yeah. the best season of survivor um yeah. so yeah okay the uh, i i'm far more excited by the ones that came in second place so like really sort of not random picks but like great picks is there like a pittsburgh presence yep okay <laughs> okay we've gone on long enough thank you so much for listening happy 99 goodbye bye <laughs>